Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And we're into extra time. Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time, I'm Stephen Houston. The Silver Ferns are on the back foot after losing the opening Constellation Cup netball test to Australia in Auckland on Thursday night. After trouncing Australia by 10 goals to win the quad series last month, the Diamonds head back to win by 3 and go 1-0 up in the four-test series with Game 2 in Christchurch on Sunday afternoon. We're joined now by our netball aficionado, Bridget Tunnicliffe. Well, Bridget, no surprise, I suppose the Diamonds were out for revenge and they, they got it. But did you expect a, a better effort from the the ferns? Um, yeah, I think um, I was disappointed with our attacking end uh, last night. Um, they tried um, Janine Southby swapped two tyre and Mez again. Uh, I think it was after the first quarter. Two tyre went back to goal shoot, and I think two tyre looked a little bit uncomfortable there. I think she was getting frustrated. But I think that um, that has something to do with how she was being fed. Um, I, th- I thought Gina Crampton had a pretty good good game at wing attack, but Shannon Francois at centre, she just sort of wasn't an option enough. She wasn't driving onto that circle edge, and Tutai was looking out for someone to, to, to be there, and she just wasn't there. Um, so, I mean, overall, I wasn't surprised with that performance by Australia. Um, they were far more grittier last night. I think it just it goes to show that that performance and that, that quad series game in Invercargill was poor from them. Um, but, I mean, in, in the end, it was only three goals. So I do think the series is going to be tight. You, you mentioned there that uh, we maybe got a little carried away, perhaps, that we on the performance of the Silver Ferns when, in fact, it was so such a bad one from, from the Diamonds last time around. Yeah, I mean, I do think at the same time it was a really good performance by New Zealand. So it was, um, you know, sort of a bit of both. But, um, yeah, it was just one game. But it wasn't as if this – I don't really think the Silver Ferns were getting carried away. I I just think there were so many stories over and over again about, oh, the Australian Diamonds are going to – there's going to be this backlash. And no one needed to tell the Silver Ferns that. They knew that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, no one, no one should be surprised by that performance. And the Silver Ferns, they would, they weren't getting carried away. I don't think they were diligent, and they kept talking about it was just one game. But um, yeah, it's it's a shame that um, it's been. I cannot remember the last time when the Ferns have actually had back to back wins against Australia. That's that's a really big issue. And maybe too much made of Kelly Jury, and maybe too much pressure on Kelly Jury, thinking that. She'd had the the better of Caitlin Bassett in that quad series game, and that that was going to be the way it was this time around. Yeah, I mean, I I, I do feel a little bit sorry for her because she, there is a lot of, a lot of pressure on her and a, a lot of talk about her being the answer to Bassett. I do think she's a great player. She had a fantastic first game, um, but it's not uncommon for someone to have the better of a player one game. In the next game, the other, your opposition gets the wood over you. So um, it's, I think it's just a matter of her not getting down about not having a great game. She just needs to, um, you know, do the hard work. And uh, I think Janine Southby's got a good, really, a really good option with Timalisi Fakahakutau because they're such different players. So they they offer really different things. I suppose to um, Kelly Jury, she's so inexperienced and such a young developing player. Yeah, um, 
She, I mean, this is really her first year in the Silver Ferns. She's only, what, 20, 21. Um, she's been, uh, this was only this year, not more, well, yeah, no, I guess this, this year was her second sort of full ANZ season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, she's got a long way to go. She's not the finished article, and she'll be more savvy next time she comes up against Bassett. Test number two, that's in Christchurch Sunday afternoon. Thoughts on how that might unfold? Um, I think we might see Janine Southby revert to Mez at, back at goal shoot, Tutaya at um, goal attack. Tutaya just seems a bit happier there. Um, I would like to see Southby start with Sam Sinclair at centre. I do think that's a, a, a really big problem area for the Silver Ferns centre. It's kind of, it doesn't really make sense why Shannon Francois... Just doesn't have doesn't seem to be having a lot of drive and impact in that midcourt, considering how good she is for the steal. It's a little bit confusing, but um, uh, Sam Sinclair came on for about the final quarter last night, and she she did well. I, I just like the way she she plays, and she's really good defensively. So um, I I think if if we need to get someone else up to speed in that centre position, and uh, we can't wait any longer. We we really need to give Sam Sinclair a go. Um, yeah, I think we'll see a better attacking end. Um, they just looked out of sorts last night. Um, maybe a bit more hunger across the board. I think it'll go probably down to the wire. And I think um, I think the Silver Ferns really need to win this game, and they've got a really good chance of doing that. I suppose the other problem they've got is. I mean, Janine Southby's made no bones about the fact that the Commonwealth Games are her target. Although they haven't won the Constellation Cup for five years, she's still fine-tuning. Um, but at some point, she's, she's got to stop that and, and maybe settle on her, her top lineup. I mean, given there's not really much more between now and the Com Games. Um, in, an ideal world, in an ideal world, she would. But she's got about three or four players who have only entered the Silver Ferns environment just recently. I mean, you've got um, Whitney Sooner, Sam Sinclair's only had a handful of games, Jenna Crampton's only had a handful of games. I think it's, I don't know if it's possible for Janine Southby to know right now who her top seven are. So I can I, I can see that she's got a difficult balancing act and I wouldn't be surprised if there is a bit more experimenting because, yeah, I mean, the, the Constellation Cup it would be great to win it. But, um, yeah, I think... We would sacrifice, I think most fans would sacrifice that in the name of the Commonwealth Games. Thanks, Bridget. That's our netball reporter, Bridget Tunneycliffe. The Kiwis Rugby League World Cup campaigns in disarray with coach David Kidwell admitting he was blindsided by a star forward Jason Tomalolo's defection to Tonga. Kidwell has named a squad which includes five debutants for the tournament, which will be jointly hosted by New Zealand, Australia and Papua New Guinea. But it's missing some big name players who've deserted the Kiwis. Hohaya plays the last play. Now let the party begin. The black and white ball is underway. When the Kiwis won the 2008 World Cup, it was described as a rugby league miracle. The Kiwis, it seems, will need another one if they're to repeat the effort in 2017. David Fusi Tua, Sio Sioa Takiaho and Manu Ma'u were all in line to join Jason Tomalolo in the Kiwis but have now pledged their World Cup allegiance to Tonga. Australian media reports have suggested the players made a pact to play for Tonga after Kiwis coach David Kidwell suspended teammates Jesse Bromwich and Kevin Proctor from the World Cup for breaching team protocol earlier this year. 
Bromwich and Proctor were banned over allegations of buying drugs at a Canberra nightclub following the Kiwis' test loss to Australia earlier this year. David Kidwell says he tried several times unsuccessfully to get hold of Tomalolo to discuss why he was turning his back on the Kiwis. That's the most uh, disappointing thing. You know, I respect his decision, but I think you know a, a conversation between myself and him would have been um, a good thing to do. You know, and as far as we were concerned, um, Jason was part of our World Cup team. Kidwell's won just six of his tests as coach of the national side. And he accepts there was not universal acceptance of his decision to ban Bromwich and Proctor, although he won't resolve from it. Everyone's going to have their own opinion, you know. And, but at the end of the day, we've made that strong decision for the jersey. And we're trying to build a new Kiwi spirit here, and we, we're not going to condone that behaviour. The Tonga coach is Christian Wolfe. He's unaware of Tom Lolo's move to Tonga being a rebuke of Kidwell as Kiwi's coach. It certainly hasn't been, you know, any real push from my end. You know, I think Jason's really sort of been the catalyst for it and he's been the first to jump there and everyone knew he was going to be picked for New Zealand but he came out and said that he was uh, he was going to play for Tonga and gave his reasons why and I guess it just took one bike to do that and particularly a person of Jason's profile and, you know, that certainly made other guys realise that that was what they wanted to do as well. Well, the defections to Tonga will take a toll on the Kiwis World Cup title hopes it certainly adds greater interest to the tournament and plenty of spice to the clash between the two sides in Hamilton early next month. The Kiwis' opening match of the World Cup is against Samoa in Auckland in just over three weeks' time. The Wellington Phoenix have a new coach and plenty of new players, but will anything change on the field when their A-League football season kicks off on Sunday? The Phoenix again failed to make the playoffs last season, finishing 7th in the 10-team competition with coach Ernie Merrick departing partway through the season. Barry Guy looks at whether Phoenix fans can expect anything different this time around. Shake to line up the shot, then pulled it back. Here's a chance for Colazzo! It just gets worse and worse for the Wellington Phoenix. Five in the back of their net now. That result was the extreme for the Phoenix last season, but for almost all of their 10-year existence, the side has struggled in the competition. The best they've ever finished the regular season was fourth. They did that on three occasions, and they got within a game of the grand final once in 2010. In 2013, founding coach Ricky Herbert resigned and was replaced by Ernie Merrick, who in turn stood down in December last year with Des Buckingham and Chris Greenacre taking over. In June this year, the club signed up Dario Kalasic and Rado Vidasic as their new coaches. With a change of coach, there is normally a change in playing style. General Manager David Dome says while they're always looking to improve, he wouldn't say this is a watershed moment for the club. We've got to 10 years and we've done you know well in those 10 years. We need to take it, really step it up now. And we feel that with the way we've brought the two coaches in and the, the, the different level that they're bringing or intensity that they're bringing to the trainings and the off-the-field off preparation work, that, that is really helping us drive a lot of that through the rest of the organisation as well. That's backed up by Phoenix chairman Rob Morrison, who admits the team hadn't reached its potential in recent years and the club now wants more accountability from its players. Uh, last year we you know, we spent the most we've ever spent uh, on the team. Uh, it, was, it was the most expensive squad the Phoenix has ever assembled and we, we never realised its full potential. So uh, one of the tasks for Dario and Rado is to, is to realise the potential that we think is there. The former Phoenix and all-white defender Ben Sigmund is optimistic once again. He believes the change of coaches will bring a fresh approach. 
and he's been impressed that the coaches have been working the players hard in the pre-season. He also likes the signing of Australian striker Dario Vidisic. However, Sigmund wants to see the young New Zealanders in the squad, like Alex Rufer, Matt Redenton and Tom Doyle, step up the season and through their performances demand a starting place. He feels that would also mean the team won't have to expect so much from their marquee players. We sit there and rely on all the big signings and probably put a little bit too much pressure on them at times. And, you know, when you're actually performing right around the park and everyone's chipping in, then it takes a lot more pressure off your big signings and, the, I guess, the, the playmakers to just do their thing and, and, you know, hopefully bang some goals in. One of the half a dozen new players in the side is the Australian defender Daniel Mullen. Mullen has played the last three years for Newcastle and admits they always found it tough getting a result in Wellington. However, he was at a loss to know why the Phoenix struggled away. If you look at the squads over the last few years, there's always been really good squads. So it's, it's always been one where you know people looking in sort of think, well, why aren't they getting the results all the time? Like I said, I haven't been here in the past, so I don't know why. But coming in here now and, and seeing training firsthand, seeing the coaches, what they've tried to implement, seeing the, the players, the experience, the young players, um, and everyone gelling together, I think that you know this season can be different. A survey of A-League coaches has the gap closing between the competition's big clubs like Sydney and Melbourne Victory and the rest. However, most have the Phoenix still finishing in the bottom half of the table. The Phoenix are at home to Adelaide this Sunday. The Breakers begin another ANBL basketball season this weekend when they play Cairns in Auckland on Sunday. Much will hinge on import guard Edgar Sosa's ability to distribute the ball for natural scorers Corey Webster, Tom Abercrombie and Kirk Penny. But there are questions over an ageing Breakers side that only narrowly missed the finals last season to end a run of successes that featured four titles and a Grand Slam final appearance all since 2011. Matt Chatterton joins us now to discuss the season ahead. What are we expecting? I mean, there was no title for them for them last year. I suppose uh, fans may have been left a little bit disappointed. So, but what do you think lies in store for, for this year? Yeah, well, what happened last year uh, was, I guess, you know, sort of had to be expected in a way, given that uh, Paul Hinade was in his first year as coach. And then they had a series of injuries, which really sort of threw their whole season into, you know, disarray, I guess you could say, in a way. And, and they didn't make the top four. They were only one win outside the top four, which, given their circumstances, was quite impressive. Um, they've retained somewhat most of their roster uh, this season compared to last year. They've got two new imports, though, uh, two players, uh, guards that uh, should provide a uh, bit of uh, razzle-dazzle, shall we say. I was watching them today out at the Breakers uh, training session and they looked pretty handy with ball in hand, so that should be good. They've uh, they've also picked up a few bigger guys. Uh, they've got James Hunter uh, playing, Rob Lowe, uh, Alex Pledger obviously has been there for a long time. So their, their team is looking relatively good. Uh, their first game is against Cairns this year. They lost to Cairns last year, which effectively cost them a chance of making uh, the top four last year, so they'll be hoping to get the season off to a good start with a, with a victory over over the uh, over the Kens Taipans. Tom Abercrombie, I suppose he's someone that you'd be expecting a bigger season from. He was pre- pretty quiet last year. A few, few injury problems? Yeah, a few. Uh, he was one of those players, like uh, everyone really, that just seemed to pick up a few niggles and was never really able to recover. Um, I guess it's 
you can't always say it's down to one man. Everyone around them needs to pick up their game. Uh, you've got the experienced head of Kirk Penny. Uh, you've got Mick Vacona, the captain. All those guys will need to really call on their experience and help some of the younger fellas coming through. You've got the likes of Finn Delaney and Shay Illy, young boys that will be playing a lot more minutes this season. So everyone really needs to pick up their game. But you did right. Tom Abercrombie is another one who will need to uh, get back to the form that, uh, that, that he was in back when the uh, Breakers were winning uh, their championships because he was instrumental uh, when they were winning those titles. And, and what do we know about their imports? Um, well, they are both, well, one comes from America, well, they actually both come from America, and one is a Dominican Republic uh, representative uh, in international circles. Uh, they've never really cracked, I guess, the big time of the NBA, but they've been playing in the smaller leagues around America and uh, also overseas. Uh, DJ Newbill and uh, Sosa are their, are their names. Um, they've They've come, I guess, it's a bit like every year with the Breakers, you know, they, they pick two imports and they normally pick two uh, guards, so it's nothing out of the ordinary in that sense. Um, but I guess they will bring a bit of experience because they are lacking a bit of experience uh, in the point guard position with uh, only Shea Illy there now that there's no uh, Corey Webster to sort of help out in the uh, in the guard spot. So um, they should provide a bit of a level head, I guess, for, for Shea and, and help him sort of develop his game a bit more. So where do you think the breakers look strong and where do they perhaps look uh, weak? Well, I guess um, they typically have always looked strong. They've got they've got some big, strong uh, forward, uh, forwards. Uh, they've got Alex Pledger, who's been around for a long time, Mick Vakona, names I mentioned earlier. Um, I guess the one thing that uh, they'll, they'll obviously... You know, be in the paint, and they'll and they'll be quite strong. Uh, they'll be they'll be very physical. They'll get a lot of baskets, and they'll probably win a lot of ball. The area where I see them probably struggling a little bit is in that guard position. They've they've got two new imports. Uh, they they as I said, they are starting to gel a little bit, but it still does take a long. You know, they've got 28 games this season. They've got a long road ahead of them, and and they're going to need all that time to sort of really understand each other and get used to each other's moves and and, and certain uh, ways they play the game. Uh, so I think I think the guard position will be where they where they really need to knuckle down and put some hard work in. But talking to uh, coach. Paul Hinare today. He said that they are starting to see some good combinations uh, working. Um, so fingers crossed that I guess they uh, they can make that happen uh, throughout the season. Prediction? Got to get one from you. Um, I, I do think, well, the bookies over in Australia certainly don't give them much of a chance. In fact, they have them finishing dead last. I don't think it'll be quite that way. I think we'll see them probably somewhere in the top six. It's whether they'll finish top four is, you know, yet to be determined. Obviously, the season's a long road ahead. If they can stay injury-free, unlike last year, uh, they will have a good chance because they have retained a large number of their of their uh, of their squad. So, if they, if they can stay injury-free and and uh, get some cohesion going in that in that starting squad, they should be starting team rather. They should be uh, good for a top six finish, hopefully. It's the holy grail of Australian motorsport, a Bathurst 1000 victory. And several New Zealand drivers are hoping to become the first Kiwi to win the famous race since Greg Murphy in 2004. Australians call it the great race, and for many New Zealanders, it's treated the same on the side of the Tasman. Barry Guy has more on the four New Zealand drivers who are real contenders to be crowned king of the mountain. The roar going up everywhere now. The lights are flashing for Murphy. It's a great job, isn't it? He's just done a fantastic job here. 
Well done, Greg Murphy. You can hear the cheers inside and outside the car as Murphy and Kelly make it two in a row. Well Greg Murphy did the double for Holden in 2003 and four, the last New Zealander to win as lead driver at Mount Panorama. This year, the New Zealand dry spell is tipped to end. Scott McLaughlin arrived at Bathurst as the Supercars Championship leader, while Shane Van Gisbergen is the defending championship title holder. Holden driver Van Gisbergen has gone close a couple of times on the mountain. A few years ago, he was leading when the car let him down, while last year he finished second to Will Davidson. Been close, got the 12-hour there, which was special, but never the, never the uh, big one. But for me, when I'm there, I always just treat it like every other weekend. You know, I love... Love championship, I want to win that. So last year it was just all about 300 points. Van Gisbergen is currently fifth in the supercar standings, well behind fellow New Zealander Scott McLaughlin, who has been the outstanding driver this season in the Dick Johnson Racing Penske Ford. McLaughlin drove for Volvo for the last three years with his best finish at Bathurst, a fifth in 2015. He was in contention last year until he was taken out by another car late in the race. The 24-year-old says it took a while to get over that disappointment. Yeah, it was a tough, it was a tough gig to take. But at the end of the day, you know, if we can bounce back this year and win, it'll be fantastic. But yeah, we'll, we'll do our best. Um, I'm, I'm so excited. I feel like, you know, uh, like I said, it's my best opportunity yet. If I could get it done, oh, man, it'll be a dream come true. McLaughlin and co-driver Alex Prema finished second at the Sandown Enduro race last month. McLaughlin's teammate and the third New Zealander in the race, Fabian Coulthard, is also firmly in the championship mix finished fifth in Sandown to show his Ford has plenty of endurance pace too. You know, I'm just happy with the progress. You know, you come here each year, you can't wait to get here, and we're finally here, and turning laps around this joint's fantastic. You know, it's one of the, it is the best track that we go to, um, if not in the world. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty special. Richie Stanaway may be seen as the Kiwi young gun at Bathurst, but he's by no means short of racing experience, having competed around the world in Formula 3, GP3 and GP2, And he's also driven for Aston Martin in the World Endurance Championship. He finished 12th last year in his debut on the mountain, but this year he's in a very competitive car. Stanaway teamed up with Cam Waters in the Pro Drive Forward to win the last round and the opening endurance race in Sandown last month. And Stanaway knows another strong performance would go a long way to securing a lead driver's role in Australia next year. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, you know, I haven't been too quiet about my ambitions for the future. So, um, you know, but at the moment, my focus is on just getting through the next two races and doing the best possible job I can as a co-driver. And then, um, yeah, we'll just see what materialises after that. So what does the legend himself think? Greg Murphy believes all four New Zealanders are in with a genuine shot. Van Gisbergen and Campbell are right there as well. Um, we've got Scott McLaughlin and Alex Prema who, again, they finished second at Sandown. And Richie Stanaway, who won Sandown, and only his second attempt at Sandown, he wins it with Cam Waters. They have become contenders. Um, we've got Fabian Coulthard and, and um, Tony Delberto. They are genuine contenders. And it would no doubt mean a lot to the driver and New Zealand fans if one of their own is crowned King of the Mountain. Barry Geyer with that report. It's six months until the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast, with New Zealand expected to take a team of more than 250 athletes to compete at the event. That would make it the largest games team New Zealand's fielded, surpassing the 249 athletes who competed at the 2006 Commonwealth Games in Melbourne. Among them is likely to be diver Shay Boddington. 
She was just 17 when she competed for New Zealand at the Athens Olympics in 2004. But she gave up diving because she couldn't stand the way she looked in her togs, battling bulimia. She's now back competing and her ultimate goal was to compete at the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo in synchronised diving. Earlier this year she competed at the World Champs in Budapest and hopes the Gold Coast Games will be another stepping stone on her journey. She spoke to Sally Murphy about the problems she's had to overcome and what got her back into the sport. So I stopped at 17 for about 13 years and um, had a little girl in that time who's now three and I didn't have any videos of me diving so I wanted to just go back and see if I could do anything. I didn't really expect very much um, and so I went back to the pools and with the intention of getting a, video, a few videos and um, was surprised at how much stronger I was now being a healthy person with no eating disorder and um, you know, having a good strong mental attitude and was surprised at how much stronger I was and actually hadn't really lost much over the years and just actually was stronger and could do harder dives so I was like oh that's surprising maybe I should put a bit more time into this and see what can happen and got chatting to the New Zealand coach and he was pretty excited and within a couple of weeks I was back into training full-time so it was all very unexpected and very exciting and yeah it's, it's a really cool little adventure that I didn't ever expect to go on. So how hard was it diving back then when you were sick? It was very difficult and I don't think I ever realised how difficult it was because it was my normal but now as a healthy person I can see that it's actually just um, I mean training is physically hard and mentally hard of course but it's enjoyable and I love it whereas it used to be every part of it used to be hard and that was just because I was constantly beating myself up and criticising myself whereas now it's you know, um, I do it for the love of it. So you and think so, you're a better diver now? I know I'm a better diver now. I'm <laughs> I mean, not just in the fact that I love it so much more, but that I'm doing much harder dives than I've ever done in my life before, significantly harder. So I'm a lot stronger. I know that that's um, you know, very obvious just from my diving list. And I feel like I've got more joy in my diving, which comes through in just the way that you do your dives, and that makes them... Um, but more spectacular, so yeah. What do you have to do to um, get into the games, to qualify? For me personally, I've needed to get a certain list of dives together, which is um, kind of like what the top women are doing at the moment. I didn't used to do them in my old career 13 years ago, like not everyone did them back then, so I've had to learn those dives, and um, I have to get them really good. I've got some of them going really well, other ones need practice, and I need to compete them well at a couple of competitions, and um, compete them well alongside my synchro partner Lizzie and they've allocated two slots for the divers there's about five of us that potentially could go so it's basically whoever's doing the best out of us five and And yeah we have to wait and see so are you doing synchronized as well as just diving by yourself yeah yeah I'm doing both of those events so individual and then the synchro you're a bit older than typical divers I mean divers are usually quite young aren't they yeah I I mean (laughs) I don't I'm 32 next year so um I think majority of divers would be around 24. I mean, it, it does vary a bit, but I'm definitely the older at the competitions. I didn't realise until I went to the last World Champs and I was like, oh, yeah, I've got more wrinkles than everybody else. <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, everyone's just so lovely. They just kind of include you like, you know, you're one of the old... How did you go at the World Champs? Um, I went okay. Like, I was incredibly nervous. It was pretty much my first international competition back. Um, but I was happy with my with one of my events. I was kind of like middle of the field, which was um, I was happy with after seven months back in it, and um, how the event went in general. But um, obviously, in terms of my competing, I'd like to keep improving and you know um, gaining control over the nerves and just keep improving at that.
Yeah. So how different is diving now? I mean, I notice you're calling it your first career and your second career. Yeah. Is it completely different in, at the moment? Um, I mean, just the dives, like you say. Yeah, the, definitely the dives are a lot harder than they used to be. Mm-hmm. So what used to be, um, you know, only the really top women were doing, now it's kind of like standard, you know, like what, what you'd be expected to do if you were going to be um, competing at like Olympic level or Commonwealth level. Uh, so yeah, the dives are harder. And um, but other than that, you know, it is the same sport, just with the yeah. the standards getting higher. And you're excited about the thought of going to the Commonwealth Games? Oh yeah, it'd be so exciting! Like I've I've never been to an event where there's like an opening ceremony. Well, other than World Champs, that was my first a few months ago. But like the proper opening ceremony where you march on and um, have the rest of the New Zealand team there, that would be something that would be completely new to me. And um, being in a sport where it's largely individual. So I dive by myself. You know, being part of a bigger team is super exciting. And do you think your daughter understands what you're doing? Uh, it's, she just kind of sees it as a part of my life now. Like whenever she sees me, like packing my bags, oh, you're off to diving, mum. Yep, yep, I'm off to diving. And you know, it's just so normal for her now. And um, yeah, she thinks it's cool. Like she likes coming and watching, and she gives me marks. 69 out of five. <laughs> oh, thanks, darling. <laughs> That's diver Shay Boddington talking to Sally Murphy. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.